The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Next, on the OHIL podcast, we preview the Toledo game and we talk about the fall of Notre Dame. And that all starts right now. much as you do. It's time for the OHIO Podcast. OHIO! Welcome back to the OHIO Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Buckeye Boggs, recording live from beautiful North Central Ohio, where I am joined by my co-host from Texas, the Sergeant MVP from the 2021 Turkey Bowl. That would be, that would be one Aaron Brown. Are you, st- are you still gloating on that thing, man? Dude, I haven't even talked about it. Other people talk about it more than I do. <laughs> it was a fond memory, you know. I got a little battery coin out of it, and that was uh, that's pretty much the end of it for me. That was uh, the last time I will ever play competitively again. Oh, we'll see about that. As a, well, apparently last uh, last show you wanted to come out of wrestling retirement to beat me up, so we'll. That's a one-off, man. Even Stone Cold was at WrestleMania last year and beat up Kevin Owens, all right? So, well, so <laughs> Ric Flair came out and had one more match, and he's like 85 or something. So, Yeah, that's true. All right, guys, let's dive in. I'd stuff. probably look just like him playing football, just rough, bud. It'd yeah. be bad. <laughs> I could make one block and, like, you know. That's about it. So uh, we've got we, we've got to break down this exciting uh, Toledo game for everybody. And I tell you what, Aaron, this Toledo team is not bad. They are supposed to be a one of two teams to obviously compete in the MAC. Um, they they are looking at somewhere around I would say a nine to ten win ten win season, if not eleven. Um, so this is this is a definitely a football team that is coming into the horseshoe not scared to play football Saturday night against the number three ranked team in the nation in Ohio State. That being said, we're going to go ahead and break this down for you like nobody's business. Chris is not with us today, but he did pre-record his section of the breakdown for everybody. So let's dive right into this. Ohio State leads the series with Toledo three games to zero. We've only played the Rockets three times. The last meeting was back in 2011. 
Of course, that's a season, Aaron, that most Buckeye fans would like to soon forget. The Buckeyes did win that matchup, though, but it was a close 27-22 win. The first meeting, however, was during the Cooper years in 1998, and that was an easy Ohio State 49-0 win. Jim Trestle got to play the Rockets as well when he was head coach, and he did so in a uh, Cleveland at the old uh, Cleveland Municipal Stadium where the Buckeyes were victorious over Toledo 38 to nothing there in Northeast Ohio. Uh, Ohio State has never played Toledo in Toledo for obvious reasons. Largest margin of victory was that 1998 first-time meeting by 49 points. This will be Ryan Day's first time facing Toledo, and Day's current record is sits currently at uh, 46-4. and four. This will be Jason Candle's uh, first time facing Ohio State as head coach. He was a part of the Toledo coaching staff in both the 2009 and 2011 games. Candle's current record is 47 and 27. All right, we're going to have Chris uh, jump in now and do his part. And when he's done, Aaron will do his. So Toledo comes into this game with a record of 2-0. and Offensively, they are 64th in the nation at 424 yards per game. Defensively, they are currently fourth in the nation with allowing 183 yards per game. Now, on offense, they're led by their quarterback, Daquan Finn. Finn has completed 33 of 54 passes for 388 yards this season. That's a completion percentage of 61.1%. He has three touchdown passes, an interception, and he has been sacked twice. Finn is also the team's leading rusher. He has 19 carries for 138 yards. He's averaging 7.3 yards per carry, and he also has three touchdowns on the ground. Juwan Newton is the team's leading receiver. Newton has eight catches for 160 yards, uh, one touchdown. He's averaging 20 yards per reception. On the other side is wide receiver Demir Blankumsey. Blankumsey actually has uh, 88 yards receiving on 13 catches this season, and he has yet to find the end zone. Defensively, Toledo is led by, well, an old friend of ours, guys, Dallas Gant. The linebacker has 19 tackles on the season, and their interception leader is Zachary Ford. The Cleveland Natum has seven tackles and an interception on the season, and he is the leader of that defensive backfield. Ohio State comes into this game also ranked at 2-0. Of course, Ohio State is now 41st in offense after an impressive showing last week. They're averaging 466.5 yards per game. Defensively, we have moved up to 23rd in the nation now, averaging 264.5 yards per game allowed. We are led at quarterback, of course, by Heisman hopeful C.J. Stroud. Stroud has completed 69% of his passes this season, going 40 of 58, 574 yards, and he does have six touchdowns. The running game has been tremendously balanced this season. Running backs Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams uh, have both carried a good portion of the load, with Henderson having 25 carries, 178 yards, and two touchdowns on the season. Mayan Williams has 22 carries for 130 yards. He has one touchdown on the season. Receiving this season, now we all thought that Jackson Smith and Jingbo would be leading this, but due to injury, he has been limited to only two catches for three yards this season. However, we do hope to have him back this weekend. Currently, the team's leader is Mecca Egbuka with 13 catches. He does have 208 yards and two touchdowns in that. And the yards receiving leader is Marvin Harrison Jr. Harrison Jr. had a huge game last week. He now has 12 catches for 240 yards and three touchdowns. Defensively, I'll tell you guys, our linebackers have really been looking good leading the way. We have Tommy Eichenberg leading the team in tackles with 14. He has two sacks to go with that as well. Right there with him is Steel Chambers. Steel Chambers comes in with 11 tackles. He does have a sack. He also has a pass defense on the season. In the defensive backfield, we've had some decent play out of Lathan Ransom. Now Ransom's coming back. He's got 11 tackles on the season as well. And, of course, off that defensive line, who can we not? how can we not talk about Mike Hall Jr. Mike Hall Jr. has seven tackles on the season. He also has two sacks to go with that as well. 
Hall has just been playing lights out on that defensive line. We've also seen a little bit out of another youngster in Caden Curry. Curry's got four tackles on the season, and he's looked really, really uh, strong in his limited playing time as well. So, Aaron, that is our statistical leaders of the game. Why don't you tell us how things look to shape up on the field schematically when Toledo comes to the shoe on Saturday? All right, so... What we can expect schematically from Toledo's offense, all right, personnel-wise, I noticed they like to do a lot of 10, 11, and 12 personnel. Uh, Out of 11, they'll go trips wide. They'll run read option. Out of 12, they'll do a double wing, which they do an interesting little twist with it. Uh, They'll have both tight ends on the same side, and they like to run a run play uh, where the left side, so we'll have the double wing to the right, They'll have the left side of the line, so every the, the left guard, left tackle will just go straight to the second level to the linebackers, and those two t- uh, tight ends from the right will pull left and meet with the defensive line right there and try to open up a hole. I didn't see a lot of success, and honestly, against Ohio State, that looks like a terrible play call, but, <laughs> but that's just me talking. Uh So they'll also run a single wing, uh, and they like to run levels, I noticed, with their wide receivers. So what that means is they'll have, like, uh, a guy that runs a short route, a guy that runs a medium, and a guy that runs a long route. And that can be a a skinny post uh, deep, you know, with a, a dig route in the middle, and then just maybe a little shallow cross, you know, not necessarily specifically that set of routes but that's just an example for you guys um they do a lot of rpos uh because their quarterback can run a little bit he's pretty talented i know they they like to run a lot with him you'll see a ton of read option and a ton of rpos uh and just and i'll talk about rpos in just a moment but they also do a lot of rpo rollout and i suspect personally that they do that because their offensive line, while it's good for like Mac play and when you're playing like UMass and, and what was it, Long Island University or something like that, I don't even know. But it some weird, obscure school that they played week one um, and, and they blew them out. Um, you know, their line works well for that. But against Ohio State, this kid's going to need some time. So they're going to roll him out quite a bit, I imagine, and look for little dump passes, anything that the defense will give them. Um, so now talking about what RPOs are, okay? So that's obviously stands for read pass option or run pass option. I'm sorry. I got too caught up in the reading. <laughs> but uh, so there's two types of RPOs, okay? There's post-snap and there's pre-snap. Post-snap is just that. The reads that the quarterback makes are post-snap, okay? So what's going to happen on these plays is the offensive line will do run blocking, all right? And the quarterback gets the ball, and he's either going to roll out or he's going to put the ball in the running back's stomach, all right? And what he's reading is are the linebackers and the safeties, okay, or the safeties, my apologies. If the linebacker or the safety are coming forward, he's going to throw the ball. Why? Because he can get it behind him. The route typically is going to be behind those players. So really, it just kind of boils down to him finding that little window to throw it into. Um, Pre-snap, Uh, The quarterback is going to scan the receivers and the defenders and look at that ratio, okay? So, for example, if the defense has uh, three wide receivers and the defense has two corners playing up, the quarterback is going to see that pre-snap, so before the ball is snapped, and he's going to throw it quickly out of that because there is an obvious mismatch and the receivers know it. So they're going to be looking for it quickly. So if you see that mismatch with Ohio State's secondary uh, with their wide receivers, which they will do this, okay, uh, and it will be out of 11 personnel because that is their trips wide. Uh, and it's not always trips wide, but typically it is trips. They don't, I didn't see too much of twins to one and single on the other. Um, So if you see that where there are three receivers and two DBs with a safety up top, look for a quick pass. That will happen. Um, So the way that we stop this for Ohio State's defense, uh, we need to play a a tight man defense in the slot, okay? Because that slot receiver is the key to RPO play. 
you have to shut that guy down. Otherwise, we're going to have a problem. And I say tight man. Well, isn't man already a tight playing defense? Yeah, technically. But there are ways that they can get loose. So uh, we used to call it an eagle route where the, the receiver will kind of break to the inside and then do a little move and like basically a, a spin and then break to the outside and that loses the defender. Well, we can't have that happen. Okay. Cause you know, like Eric said, Toledo is one of the dangerous teams in the Mac. So we have to watch out for that. If, if our secondary plays loose, like they did against Arkansas state, it could be a problem. Cause to me, I think Toledo's a little bit better than what Arkansas state is. Uh, but that's just my opinion. Um, and then the other thing we need to do is continue to pressure the quarterback because their their quarterback can throw really well when he's just standing there. But with pressure applied, all of a sudden, he's not so superhuman. He will make mistakes. And this is where Ohio State can capitalize, whether it's lost yardage or creating turnovers. And we haven't really seen that much this year. Uh, if at all, um, I would like to see some interceptions, Eric. I don't know about you, but I think that this week is a good opportunity to make some of those things happen. Toledo on defense, though, they run a 3-3-5, and it looks very similar to what Notre Dame ran, and it looks very similar to what we run. Uh, what you'll see is a stand-up defensive end, which really isn't a defensive end. It's typically their Sam linebacker, so their strong side backer is just kind of standing at the end there. Um, and they like to do disguised defenses or coverages. So, again, uh, if you go back to the Notre Dame preview show, I talked about mixed coverages and disguised defenses. Toledo does a similar thing. I don't think they're as good as Notre Dame. I know Notre Dame is 0-2 with a loss to Marshall. All right. But I think that the talent level is a little bit better in South Bend than what you'll see with Toledo uh, athlete-wise. Um, the DBs will play cover four, um, and they and honestly, it they'll look like they're playing man, but then they'll drop into quarters, which quarters is another word for d cover four for those of you that don't know. So it's it's one of those things where it's going to look very similar to what we saw against Notre Dame, um, and the way that Ohio State can beat this, okay, and the athletes are not as similar as, as Notre Dame. So like I said, uh, the way that you beat this, okay, is the offensive line needs to play with aggression, so we just need to run it down their throats. They have a three-man front, technically four, but there's a way, you know, you kick that guy out, create a gap for for Travion or uh, Williams to run through, and you're good to go. Um, crossing routes are going to be our friend. I do not think that their DBs have the horses to keep up with our wide receivers, JSN or not. Um, out routes, out and up. Comeback routes, digs, uh, even wide receiver screens. If they decide that they're not going to disguise the cover four and they play off, that's a, a prime opportunity to get the ball to somebody fast in space. OK, so imagine uh, even a running back screen or a, or a flare. You put Travion Henderson or Mayan Williams in the flats. OK, one on one with anybody's linebackers. I bet you they're running free still. OK. But that's that's kind of what I anticipate happening, and that's that's kind of how I see it getting played out. So, interestingly enough, Long Island University <laughs> is a small college in New York, and they were recently Division Two as of last year. So, that is essentially this is their first year in Division One football. I so, can't believe that that team up north didn't schedule them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. They are playing all Mac schools and getting hammered by Mac schools. So what's that tell you? But uh, yeah, because I'm like Long Island University. Like, is this where they make Long Island iced tea? I don't know. I need to look this up. So yeah, not a very good football team. Neither is UMass. So the the numbers that Chris gave us are a little bit inflated from the fact that they've played two cakewalks. The, and obviously, Ohio State is not that. So I, I expect a completely different perspective here we're going to take a quick commercial break when we come back uh aaron and i are going to ask some questions to one another and uh, i've got some schematic questions and maybe even some uh, deeper philosophical football questions so hang tight the ohio podcast is brought to you by mastermind 
Mastermind specializes in 360-degree high-definition mobile video mapping, GIS integration, and traffic safety studies. Mastermind cares about traffic safety and keeping you safe on the roadway. Visit Mastermind at OnlineMastermind.com. Welcome back to the OHIO podcast, everybody. All right, Aaron, running quarterbacks. This is the first time that we get to see this Jim Knowles defense going up against a quarterback who is a threat to run. Now, I know Notre Dame's quarterback in that first game was apparently a threat, but I didn't see it in the first game or this or their second game that they lost last week to Marshall, which is an absolute hilarious, just a, a complete, an utter joke. I have enjoyed the meltdown from the Notre Dame fan base this past week immensely. But... <laughs> Jim Knowles' defense against a running quarterback, is it set up to do well against that? Because in the past, our bend-but-don't-break defense seemed to really struggle against a very athletic quarterback. So the big thing there, okay, is there's really no defense that's like – designed specifically to stop a running quarterback okay you could run a 4-4 or even a 2-4-6 whatever (laughs) you know what I mean it doesn't matter Um, it's all about how you plan to basically keep him like corralled keep him in a specific part of the field and the way to do that is blitzing Okay, now I know in the past, uh, you know, teams would spy, which is another option. You can do that, you know, if you really fear his arm. Um, But really, if you're DBs, this is such a I don't want to say it's a huge mismatch. okay, but it kind of is athlete athlete to athlete. Um, But if you blitz a guy like this, you need to get to him because otherwise you've got four defensive linemen uh, behind the quarterback who's capable of running and your linebackers are probably chasing him or they're in coverage themselves. So really the, the you know, the answer the the kind of security blanket on this is keeping one linebacker in the center of the field uh, just in case something like that does happen. So if you are, if you are Jim Knowles, are you keeping Tommy Eichenberg there? Are you keeping still chambers there? Or does this just depend on the play call that you're you're calling for that particular play. If I'm Jim Knowles, I have confidence that either one of those linebackers can get the job done. Okay. So I, to me, it's kind of a, a, a dependent thing. Um, I like Steel Chambers' speed a lot better. So for me personally, not being Jim Knowles, I would keep Steel Chambers there and let Tommy Eichenberg kind of follow the tight end in coverage. Because I think he can still do it. Because Tommy Eichenberg is not tough Borland. He can run a little bit. Um, he's not Pete Warner either, but he'll get it done for you. Yeah, which Pete Warner had an amazing, absolute amazing day uh, last Sunday. So congratulations, Pete, on your start to your amazing season. I think he had like 11 tackles or something crazy like that. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, but if you ask our fans, our listeners. He couldn't run. He couldn't run. He can't cover. He can't do anything. But here he is. Yeah, look what surprise. Um, <laughs> all tough right, Bor- tough Borland's pumping gas somewhere. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. He got he got he got a chance for the Vikings, and I don't think that went over so well. So I have no idea what tough Borland's. Doing. Um, <clears throat> next question for you. I have heard this week that it that that it was said that it is a possibility that. The success that Michael Hall Jr. is getting as a defensive tackle is because teams have been worried sick about JTT on the edge. True or false and why? You know, I can't really give you a true or false, but I don't believe that. Because this isn't the NFL, okay? Uh, No disrespect to either player, but they're not – Aaron Donald, they're not, you know what I mean? They're just, they're not there yet. Well, he's there is th- baby Aaron Donald. I know, I know, but he's not Aaron Donald yet. You know what I mean? The, the potential sure. is there, but I mean, I don't think that teams are like overly concerned about JTT 
and that's why Mike Hall doing what he's doing. I think that it's legitimate talent. You, you watch him play. Like, you know what I mean? They're not double teaming JTT. Mike Hall's beating his man. He's beating his the, the guy in front of him every time. So I don't believe they're focused or more concerned about JTT. They're not double teaming him like they did Chase Young a few years ago. I'm not seeing that so much. It happens, but it, it's not out of concern. It's out of play call. Mike Hall simply beating the man in front of him, point yeah. blank. Okay. I, I just thought, found it very interesting that the, some of the so-called media experts have said that this week, that he's he's obviously getting uh, the benefit of the doubt because teams were worried about JTT. But now they're saying it's a possibility since he's had two really good games that he's going to be the focus and this could open up the opportunity for JT Tumulau or Jack Sawyer or heaven forbid Zach Harrison to actually get back <laughs> this weekend. So. Well, let's – it drives me nuts, dude. The whole media situation just drives me nuts. Like they're kissing JTT's butt, which is fine. That's fine. The kid's really good. But to say that kind of thing and just discredit Mike Hall's work and his passion and, and the effort he puts in, that's just lame. <laughs> okay. All right. What do you got for me? Okay, so my question to you is more of like opinion, okay? So what do you think after two games, okay, after what you have seen through two games, what are the chances, in your opinion, of Ohio State finishing undefeated? I know what our preseason, you know, guesses were, predictions, but after two games and what you have seen so far, do you still feel that way? Yeah, I do. And here's and, and here's why. <clears throat> I think you can overreact early on in the season. Um, I think the win over Notre Dame was good. Not great, but good. I think the win last week over uh, Arkansas State was a good win. Again, not great, but good. I think – I actually think Arkansas State has got a very good chance of being a, a, not only a bowl team, but a, a, like an eight or nine win team this year. So that's a that so that's a pretty good team you beat last week and you, I think they made an act actually I think they got better from week one to week two but it's just hard to see that because Arkansas State doesn't hold the same um, water as Notre Dame does but a- after watching Notre Dame week one and week two I'm not so sure Arkansas State wouldn't give Notre Dame a game. I was um, thinking that myself. Uh, I think I, we 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 laugh sometimes that when we beat a really good team that we broke them. I really do think we broke Notre Dame last in an opening week. I really think we broke them bad. Like oh. their their will was gone last week, Aaron, against against Marshall. They Marshall came in and because they didn't put Marshall away, Marshall's confidence level went through the roof. And Marshall's like, oh my gosh, we can beat them, and they started believing it. And Notre Dame gave up. Well, that, you know, that kind of creates another question for me, if you don't mind. Yeah. Do you think that Marcus Freeman is in over his head as a first time head coach at a program like Notre Dame? Because no, I don't think he's over his head, but I think he's made some really bad decisions. You think so? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I do. Well, first off, he's shown that he he wasn't um, prepared, I don't think to address the media in the right way. You know, I would thought I would think being a disciple of Jim Tressel, he would have come in with a more of a I'm not going to really give you what you want type of answer to questions. And he was the exact opposite. He's like I'm going to give you everything you want because he was trying to create some kind of like um cool guy recruiting mentality i'm all about notre dame this is the place you want to be blah 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 and it came across to the to the meet to their media and their fan base as being you know hell yeah we've got the guy our guy you know well that that also can lead to feeding your own ego which true you know which is something i think he kind of believed and I think J- Jim Tressel would have like nipped that in the butt right away. You, yeah, you know, Jim Tressel was from the Lou Holtz school of thought. You talk up your opponent like they're the greatest thing ever. 
You know, you flatter them. And he is not like that. He's kind of the exact opposite of that. And I I think now he's got to make some really tough decisions about his staff. Um, I think he's going to have to take that offense by the bull, well, by the horns by the bull or bull by the horns or whatever, however that saying goes. Because right now, <laughs> right now, that offense is pathetic. But I don't know that he knows how to coach offense. He's a defensive dude. So I, I, if I'm a Notre Dame fan and I'm not, I would say to them, you've got to give him time to get – let him finish off this recruiting class and get some of his guys in there. Maybe make a, a coaching change or two and give him a couple years. I mean, he's obviously a hell of a recruiter. Well, you know, in that, that last part of your statement there, that's kind of why I asked because let's look at Luke Fickle, okay? He had a season at Ohio State. We know how that turned out. Yep. We ended up six and seven at the end of the season after the bowl game. And it's he didn't have head coaching experience. He went the same route Marcus Freeman did, seemingly. Um, but he got a chance at his own alma mater, which is pretty cool, right? Right. He had a ton of talent handed over to him from Jim Tressel's era, uh, albeit a few of them suspended. <laughs> but it was there, you know, right behind them. Um, Ohio State was pretty deep even then, uh, at least I thought. Uh, but look at all the scrutiny he got week after week, barely beating Toledo. Um, you know, there and there were more instances than that even. Yeah. And then look at some of the losses, you know. Well, he – didn't I don't think he got fired at the end of the season. He just simply had an offer from Cincinnati. He did not get the offer for Ohio State. Um, and he went to a lesser school and has crafted his skill and honed his skills. And he's gotten better as a head coach. Look at what he has done in Cincinnati. Do you? F- I just feel like Marcus Freeman would have benefited more from doing a similar thing. Instead of taking over the head coaching job at Notre Dame, maybe he should have stayed defensive coordinator or uh, went to a lesser school like Luke Fickle did. Because at this day and age, man, you know these coaches don't have five, six years to build a program anymore. No. They've got maybe three. Well, so two things. First off, let's go back to 2011. Outside of the week three loss to Miami, Florida, that was 24 to six. It was a bad game. Outside of that loss, did, did you know every single loss he had that season was seven points or less? Well, after 11 years, no, I did not remember that. I didn't know that. So that's not terrible. I mean, he was in every single game. Now, he also didn't blow anybody out either other than Akron, you know. Yeah. Uh, that was a 42 nothing shellacking. And then, like you said, we barely beat Toledo. Uh, I, we, we beat Colorado by a couple scores. We ended up beating Illinois by 10. It took a Hail Mary to beat Wisconsin that year. We barely beat Indiana uh, by a couple scores. So Luke Fickle, it's not like the, there like there was like he wasn't in any game and there and again there wasn't a terrible loss on that schedule. Michigan State, Nebraska, Miami, Florida, Purdue, Penn State, the team up north in Florida. You know there wasn't a Marshall on there. That's true. Now he went to Cincinnati and his first year with the Bearcats wasn't great either, if I recall. So. Uh, and f- yeah, they were four and eight his first year, but then they turned around, turned right around and had two 11 win seasons in a row, uh, then a nine win season during the pandemic. And of course they were in the college football playoff last year. So, I mean, he is, he has built a winning program after going in and obviously having to turn things around. And I'm not saying that Notre Dame is Cincinnati and that, that this is going to be a wash year, but, but let's be honest. I don't think Kelly did. Marcus Freeman any favors man like that team is that team's better than Marshall but ah, man I don't know like they're not that great well that's and and that kind of goes with what I was saying man because I mean Luke Fickle is a defensive guy Marcus Freeman is a defensive guy you know you mentioned Freeman may not necessarily know about coaching offense the best 
But Fickle didn't either, you know. But he went down to Cincinnati and he figured it out. And he had worse talent. Well, I shouldn't say worse. I should say less talent than what Freeman inherited. Yeah, he didn't have as many star guys, but he also didn't have the schedule that Freeman's got either. I mean, you you look at Notre Dame's schedule moving forward. I don't know of any real game on there where I'm confident, you know, like like they play Cal this week. There's I mean, that should be confident. You should be. But I'm are you like, well, no, not under the circumstances. But that's that (laughs) proves my point. Like he's in over his head. He took over a program with all that talent and he can't do anything with it. All right, let's look at their schedule real fast. They got Cal at home and they're on the road at North Carolina. Then they're home against a, a surging BYU team. Home against Stanford. Okay, home against UNLV. That should be a win, but, you know, again, so was Marshall. Should. <laughs> On the road at Syracuse, that should be a win. Home against Clemson, that, that's an L. On the road at Navy, again, I I wouldn't put past Navy beating them. If it was Air Force, they'd certainly get blown out. Air Force is pretty solid. Home against Boston College, that should be a win. BC's not any good this year. And then they finish on the road at USC where they're going to lose by probably 60. So, I mean, there's a, I, there is a guaranteed two losses on the schedule, USC, Clemson. And then there's a whole lot of, boy, I don't feel good about that. BYU, North Carolina, Stanford. You know, I, I just don't feel good about any of that. For them, no, unless they get it turned around like I would not like in all honesty, I'm being dead honest. If he goes seven and five and he only loses three more games out of the schedule, I just gave you out of these 10 games. That's pretty good. That is pretty good. I bet you he goes four and eight. Ooh. I think he beats Navy and he beats UNLV. Think about it. His starting quarterback's done for the year. We don't even know what he's got behind that, and that guy wasn't moving the ball. So, I mean, if he had the utmost confidence in Buckner to move the ball and he couldn't do it, what what the hell's this backup got? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I mean, I know they got they got they're in trouble. Uh, Coach Carr's grandson going there next year. I mean, that ain't helping him now, though. Yeah, I know. I mean, but still, I'm thinking. I mean. This is this is gonna get ugly, like bad ugly. So I'm all for it though. Right? I mean, I mean I'm all for I'm all for watching Marcus Freeman fall flat on his face. I, t- I told you, I don't know if you were listening back then, Aaron, but when he made all those th- announcements about uh, you know how Ohio State doesn't have to go to class and he's so glad he didn't make the same mistake twice and all this BS, I I I was so sick of it that I said I hope he fall not I hope. He basically became the biggest enemy for me after the team up north. I wanted to crush their souls. Yeah. It was nice beating them, but in a a weird kind of way, I'm enjoying every second of this. I kind of wish they had beaten them by more. But I I do remember reading about everything that he said, and I was like, wow, dude, really? I mean he was like – basically he was dissing – his alma mater, right? And basically all the players and students that go to the school, but he would say this stuff and then back, well, that's not really what I meant. Well, how about you freaking man up and say exactly what you mean then? Yeah. So he came on uh, Columbus radio with um, uh, Bobby Carpenter because they were teammates, you know, for like one year, I think there was a crossover or something. Yeah. Yeah. Bobby Carpenter's senior year was like his freshman year something like that. And Bobby called him out on it. He's like, "What, Marcus, what are you doing? Like, this is your alma mater. Like, what do you really mean here? Like, he, he – and, of course, you know, he, he backed it up. You know, like he said, you know, well, I was taking out of context. And really the question wasn't – you know, I wasn't making – but it's like, dude, like, don't put yourself in those situations to begin with. And that's where I'm saying he should have been more like Trestled. Jim Trestle would have never put himself in those situations because he would have never bad. You never hear Jim Trestle badmouth Youngstown State. Or he, dude, he didn't even badmouth that team up north. No, he didn't. 
The worst I mean, thing I think he said was his opening thing at the basketball arena where he'll he be said, "Proud in, of us in 300 and some days, you know." Yeah, when Ann we Arbor. go up to Ann Arbor. Yeah, that's. I think that was the worst thing that he, he said about anybody. He never even said we would win. He just said, "You'll be proud of us." That's all he said. Yeah. So <laughs> correct. It was like, <sighs> kills me, but, dude. I just don't understand it. Yeah, it, it's 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 strange. All right, getting back to the Toledo. Uh, let me ask you another question here before we do our predictions. When we play these teams from Ohio, there really is a no-win situation. There's not, like really nothing to gain, everything to lose. That in in the perspective of like you know the big picture, I know there's things to gain from this. Like if you get on a big lead, then you can put your backups in, and they're going to get more playing time. The, you know, your second and third string, your freshman, et cetera, right? Like that's that's a positive. Uh, you can, you know, you get another win and you're, you're healthy type of thing, you know. What outside of those cliches, like is playing a Toledo at all per, all purposes outside of giving them a big paycheck and, and you know, helping a, a fellow school in the state of Ohio, is there really no reason to be playing a team like Toledo? I wouldn't say there's no reason. I mean, Toledo's one of the top teams in the MAC. You know what I mean? And so for them to be a non-Power 5, but yet the best in their conference, I feel like that serves purpose. You know, we've, we, we went from Notre Dame to Arkansas State. Both, both of our in-conference, like, you know, the teams that are out of conference schedule who have a conference. <laughs> uh you know, they're considered to be challengers for their conference championship. It's not like we went and played, uh, I don't know, Mercer. Long Island University. <laughs> yeah, we didn't pick Long Island. We didn't, you know what I mean? We didn't go after Miami, Ohio. We didn't go after, uh, shoot, I don't know, name some other stupid university that nobody knows about. Like, <laughs> you know, what? I, but you get what I'm saying. We're not playing Dayton here. We're playing Toledo, and they're a challenger for the MAC. I think that there is value in that because it does save more money instead of trying to pay, uh, I don't know, uh, some other obscure university like, I don't know, UNLV or, or Nevada or something like that to come all the way to Columbus, which would be exponentially more money, I feel like. Uh, you're just having a team from the state come down the road, and you're getting a little bit of a game out of it. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I think there is value to that. All right. That being said, let's get into our prediction, shall we? Let's do it. All right. So first up, Chris gave me his before uh, he took off for the evening. Chris's prediction is as follows, Aaron. He has Ohio State 49, Toledo 10. Hmm. I have Ohio State 52. Toledo, 17. I will go Ohio State. Let me think here. I will say Ohio State, 45. Toledo, 13. All right. So let's look at those scores again. And I'm going to give you a comment. And then you you tell me you rebuttal this or you agree. You got 45, 13. Chris has got 49-10. I've got 52-17. Spread is 35. Are we not winning by enough? No, I think we are. I, um, I, I don't know, like, at what point these Vegas betting spreads became part of the equation. You know, the expectation should not be based on on betting spreads in Vegas. That has nothing to do with football. Us, you know what I mean? I, I remember when 14 points was considered a butt whooping. You know what I mean? Like if you beat somebody by two touchdowns, you did pretty well. And now it's like if you're not blowing a team out by 40, do you even have an offense? Like what happened? <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I understand spread got a lot more exciting than what power I was. I understand that. But – 
But good Lord, man, let's leave Vegas out of this stuff. Uh, the spreads are interesting. They're fun to follow and see if teams cover or not. But I don't I'm not using that as as a way to judge whether or not Ohio State's offense is any good. OK, fair enough, man. Uh, that's, a, that's a good comment. All right. Let's go ahead and do our big game predictions for the weekend. And then we got our power rankings to finish it off. So. It was kind of hard to find interesting games this weekend outside of the Big Ten to talk about, but we found four of them. First one is 12th ranked BYU is going on the road to 25th ranked Oregon. Now, Oregon bounced back nicely last week against a nobody, but they did look awful against Georgia in week one. And But Georgia could be really, really good. Here's the thing. BYU, although they're ranked 12th in the nation right now, is not favored to win. Uh, talking about Vegas, who you uh, obviously dislike, Aaron. They think Oregon is a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home against BYU. Chris has got uh, BYU pulling the up, uh, pulling the upset on the road. I'm with them. I think BYU is a really good football team. I'm going with the Mormons as well. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't care what Vegas says. BYU. All right. Next up is Liberty at Wake Forest. Now, I picked this one because I think Liberty is a pretty good football team. Uh, they did really well last year. They got all the way to a, a pretty nice bowl game. Wake Forest is you know, one, of the, one of the better teams in the ACC. But, you know, as we learned last week, some of these smaller schools, if that, if that big power five isn't uh, ready to play football can come up and nip them. And this is one of those games where I'm not so sure Liberty can't uh, put a scare in the demon Deacons uh, wake Forest ranked 19th Liberty unranked at this moment. Wake Forest is a 16 and a half point favorite at home. Chris says, give them the demon Deacons. I'm with them. I think wake Forest wins at home, but I think it's a close game. What do you think? Yeah, I can't judge on how close it'll be, but I do know this. Malik Willis no longer plays at Liberty. I don't know what they have replacing him, but I bet he's not NFL caliber, at least not yet. So give me Wake Forest. Fair enough. Let's move. Let's keep it in the ACC where this one's a couple power five schools. You've got Texas Tech, who's off to a pretty good start this season, on the road at NC State, who's ranked 16th in the nation. The spread on this game is 10.5 points for the Wolfpack at home. If you go by the belief that uh, home field advantage is about seven points in college football, they're saying this is a field that NC State's about a field goal better uh, than uh, Texas Tech. And uh, what are they, the Red Raiders, I think, or something like that? Yes, yes. Um, what do you think? NC State, Texas Tech, I'll let you go first. Uh, I'm going to go NC State. I think their defense is pretty solid. Their offense isn't that hot. I seen I saw one of their games there. I think it was their first, excuse me, their first game. They didn't really look too hot, I'll be honest, but uh, they did win. Um, so NC State at home, I'll take the Wolfpack. All right. Chris is agreeing with you. And unfortunately, I am as well. I, I, I don't know. I think Texas Tech might be able to do something here if NC State's not on their A game. But that's a that's kind of a risk. So I'm going to go ahead and take NC State as well. Right now, we're being very boring. We're all agreeing. I know there's a disagreement on this last one though. 13th ranked Miami uh, University of Florida taking on uh, the Aggies of Texas A&M, coming off their embarrassing loss, now ranked 24th in the nation. So 13th against 24th. Um, here's what's crazy. Vegas says give A&M the advantage at home with five and a half points. Is Miami back? Is the U back? They need this win if they're going to be say that they're back. A&M needs to bounce back badly. These are two teams that need this game. This is the most intriguing game on the docket all weekend. Chris says give me the U. I say give me the Aggies to bounce back after their embarrassing loss. You're the tiebreaker here, Aaron. What do you think? So since we're so Vegas heavy here, in 2002, what were the Vegas odds that Ohio State would beat the Hurricanes? Uh, Not very good. Was it was I want to say Miami was like a two touchdown favorite or more. Yeah, they were they were more than one score favorite on us. What was the result? Uh, We won that game. Indeed. And you know what? 
looks like Miami is indeed not favored against A&M. But I don't care. I'll take the U because Texas A&M might have the best roster money can buy. But so far, they don't look like it. So uh, well, the, I'll the take U's, Miami. The U's working on that for next year. So uh, <laughs> these, are, these are two NIL heavy programs right here, man. The U and A&M. So this is this is this is the best game money can buy you next year. So there you go. She put it on pay per view. <laughs> there you go. Well said. Well said. All right, let's jump into our power rankings real fast to close out the show, Aaron. Week three of the Big Ten power rankings. Again, to to tell you how we do this, eight of us each have our own individual power rankings. We throw our power rankings into a uh, a spreadsheet that that averages everything out and this is what we got a little bit of movement that was very interesting this week ohio state holds on to that uh top spot by only two points over that team up north there are out of the eight five of us have ohio state first and the other three have that team up north north first so there's some disagreement there uh sparty the other team from that state up north bounces up a spot to third uh, actually, two spots. They will go from fifth to third. They bump Minnesota out of that third spot that falls to fourth, and Penn State, who fell out of fourth, down to fifth. Maryland is up a spot from sixth to seventh, and rounding out the top half is Purdue, who jumped from eighth to seventh. Again, the top seven, Ohio State one, that team up north two, Sparty three, Minnesota four, Penn State five, Maryland six, Purdue seven. Aaron, anything you disagree with or are you in in step with this? I really can't argue it, you know, because I feel like all these teams have looked pretty solid through the first couple of weeks. Um, Penn State a little shaky, but, uh, you know, not that Auburn is anything special this season, but the fact that they have to go to Auburn to play the game, I think we're going to find out how tough this Penn State team is. And believe you me, I'm pulling for them. I hope they beat the snot out of Auburn. I am sick of the SEC. I don't care which one of them it is. Go down there, right in their field, and kick them right in the sack. All right, I don't. <laughs> I do not care. I'm yeah. done with it. We're back. We're backing you, Kevin. We got your back yes, on this one. Big Buckeye time. Buckeye Nation is pulling for you and the Nittany Lions uh, to dispose of the Tigers. Bottom half of the power rankings. Rutgers has been climbing and climbing and climbing. They started, I believe, 13th when we started this a couple weeks ago. They're up to 8th, Aaron. And that is because Wisconsin fell, and they fell hard from last week when they were 6th all the way down to ninth. Now, here's what's interesting. Because Northwestern looked so bad against Duke, Iowa climbs from 11th to 10th despite the fact that they lost 10-7 to against Iowa State. Illinois' victory helped them climb last from, uh, let's see, from 14th all the way to 11th. Indiana climbs from 13th to 12th. Nebraska, or sorry, Northwestern, like I said, fell from 10th to 13th. And then Nebraska finally, after starting midway in the rankings, have finally made their way all the way down to the basement. They are now 14th falling from 13th to 14th after losing to Georgia Southern. The bottom half again, Wisconsin 9, Iowa 10, Illinois 11, Indiana 12, Northwestern 13, Nebraska 14. Um, Man, I don't know. What do you think about that Iowa there, man? I, I Offensively, they might be the worst team in the Big Ten, but defensively, they might be one of the best teams in the Big Ten. Yeah, I, you know, for me personally, I think – I mean, this is okay. You know what I mean? Rutgers being at eighth is a shock a little bit, but also them being undefeated at this point, even though they played a what Wagner, but I didn't, I don't think I even had them pegged to beat Boston college in week one. So, Hey man, good for them. You know what I'm saying? Good for them. They deserve that spot. They're undefeated. Wisconsin, you're embarrassing. You lost to freaking Washington state at home. What? That's the first time Washington state has ever beat a Big Ten school on the road, ever. Like, I, I don't – yeah. We played them a few times through the years, Yeah, and we beat them. I, I, you know what I mean? And, and so have other schools, obviously. I don't understand how Wisconsin at home with an allegedly decent defense – like, this is Washington State, people. This is not – 
We're not talking about USC. Even UCLA is, I would say, is better. Like, what? What happened? You know, Iowa losing and moving up. I don't. I I got some questions for the voters. Okay, but that is what it is. Illinois. I'm okay with them even, because they're what two and one. Two and one. Yep. Indiana's two and zero, and it might be their only two wins all season. Exactly. So I think that 12th is fair for them. Northwestern and, and Nebraska, you know, they're coachless and only one win. So that I think the rest of it looks good. Here's something interesting for you. Rutgers plays at Temple this week. I, I expect Rutgers to probably win that game. Then they go home and they host Iowa in two weeks. That'll be interesting. They should win that. I think should. they should win it. If they win that game, they will come into the shoe – Four and zero and undefeated. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have ever thought that? I know I didn't. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy stuff, right there. We, dude, in the preseason predictions, we also thought that Iowa would be much better than what they are. Well, I'm not to toot my own horn, but I told you guys their offense was trash. Yeah, you know, you're 100 percent right. But I mean, I, through, I, I mean, I, I thought it was trash. I did not realize that it was hot garbage. Like, yeah, this is dumpster juice in Texas in the middle of summer. This is terrible. But I mean, like to this point, I didn't think that they would be what one and one or one and two or something like that. I I didn't see that coming. They are one and one and they have scored a total of one touchdown. That's what I mean. I, I guess I just figured that, you know, they would be. Iowa State lost all them guys, you know, and then I don't know, dude. Iowa's crap. Yep, I I I agree. All right, that's our show for this week. Enjoy the game this weekend. Yes, it is a prime time game against Toledo. All I can say is holy Toledo. I'm not sure how that happened, but here we are. Enjoy it, I guess. Uh, next couple weeks. Oh, I can't believe I almost forgot to mention this. So this will obviously be. A big-time announcement that uh, we're doing next show as well. But we are going to black out the Berg. We are going to do a live tailgate party from uh, Mike's Beer Bar in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, on Saturday, September 24th at 6.30. That is that is a week from this, uh, from this Saturday. So if you live in eastern Ohio or in or around the Pittsburgh area, come out to Mike's beer bar that's 110 federal street in pittsburgh pennsylvania this is the in conjunction with the alumni club of pittsburgh the osu alumni club of pittsburgh uh we went out there last year and had a great time we're heading back again this year chris and i going to be there we're going to have prizes games food fun it's going to be a blast one hour before the wisconsin game saturday september 24th 6 30 p.m if you need uh, any uh, need uh, any directions or anything like that feel free to email me. You can email the show at theohiopodcast at gmail.com, or you can always just uh, check out the the flyer that we have posted on our social media site. So there's that. As always, be kind to one another. I owe someone's OH. You've seen Carmen, Ohio, with all your heart. And until next time, OH! IO! Go box. Oh, come, let's sing, oh, Ohio's praise and songs through armor while our hearts rebounding thrill and joy which death alone can still summer's heat or winter's cold the seasons pass the years will roll time and change will surely show how firm thy friendship, Ohio. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, 
offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.